many of uh, Christians, maybe some of you, have coffee cups, have artwork in your home, maybe you have shirts, and they have scripture on them. What's fascinating is the number of Christians that I'll see that has something, and the verse is out of the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is filled with these verses, these sentences that we hold dear to as believers. Uh, Verses like this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I can do all things through him who gives me what? Strength. This letter is filled with uh, Paul writing to the church in Philippi uh, about uh, joy. Uh, I think it's like 15 or 16 times he writes about joy in Christ. But really, even as much as there's an emphasis on joy, that's not the main thrust of what he is writing. There's the themes of unity in Christ, and he speaks of the grace of God, which we look at this morning As we look at this, um, we also will understand and see that Paul, who writes this towards the end of his life, while most likely he is in prison, is writing to the Christians, and um, we can understand this uh, today, that it is not easy uh, to live a Christian life in a dark world. And so as he writes To them 2,000 years ago, this is very relevant for you and I if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, a believer today, uh, because Jesus uh, promised that Christians would encounter uh, trouble in this world. But he also promised that the power of the Holy Spirit would abide in us and we would be able to be led through that. If you look with me at Philippians chapter 1, we'll look at the greeting this morning in verse 1 and 2. And the scriptural truth that we see from this text is that grace and peace are found in Christ alone. Look with me at verse 1 and 2 of Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will remind you again We have the great privilege to not just open a book, but to open a book that every word is the Lord's. And he has given us his words by the power of the Holy Spirit that the men would write down this that we can have understanding today. And so again, Father, we pray and ask that you would give us understanding. Holy Spirit, bless the reading and the preaching of the word as I do not have anything to say, um, but you have everything to say from your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you write letters anymore. I've seen stats that uh, handwriting letters has decreased dramatically uh, with the internet and email and texting, that even writing uh, email letters has decreased a lot, and we just send texts. We don't spend as much time even on the phone talking to one another because we just send a text. It might be easier. But if you were going to write a letter this week, you may write, uh, Dear Tom, or Greetings, Mary. Uh, Maybe you're writing a a group of people to whom it may concern. Uh, If you are writing an email or a text, it might be like, Hi, Sam, whatever it may be. But you have a letter which is written. 
Be reminded of that when you read the book of Philippians. Paul is writing to other believers in the city of Philippi, and he begins this letter differently than he does his other letters. Most of his other letters, he says, Paul, an apostle, and he identifies himself in that way, but here you have a difference, and the first point we see here is that grace is displayed in the life of the servants. We're going to see throughout the book of Philippians, and he begins this letter speaking of grace, the grace of God, and peace that comes from the grace of God. And so he speaks of himself and Timothy. Uh, your assignment this week is to read Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, which we'll look at a little bit this morning, tells us why there's even a church in Philippi. And your other assignment in the weeks to come is this. I want you to read the book of Philippians. And I want you to read it, if possible, Lord willing, every day. It will take you 15 minutes, 15 minutes to read. And I know maybe some of us are slower, so maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. And some of you are like, well, but I like to just take one. Well, okay, read it and then go and take one verse. But imagine as the believers here, as the body of Christ, as we're seeking to understand and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, that if we together all read the book of Philippians over and over, that the Holy Spirit would help us understand even at a greater degree. And so I encourage and challenge you to do what I'm encouraging and challenging myself to do. Take 15 minutes. Even if you don't get through the four chapters in 15 minutes, commit 15 minutes and, and read or listen to the reading of Philippians uh, as we study this together. Paul and Timothy are two uh, guys who go out uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in their lives and what we have from Scripture, we see that grace is displayed uh, in their life as servants, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Um, usually, we don't start the letter, uh, uh, I, Paul, am writing to you. Uh, usually, we say who we are at the end of the letter, uh, unless maybe it's uh, uh, you're writing to a business and you identify yourself. But here, uh, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. In verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says this to the church, uh, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, when you read the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul and Timothy and Silas did not spend a lot of time in Philippi, but there was enough time with them that there was this unity that comes through Christ after their salvation, that he longs for them. He writes to this church with his great love and affection for them, as you will read this uh, book over the weeks to come. The word servants there in the original language is this Greek word doulos, and it means slave or bond slave. But a lot of times when we hear the word slave, though, we think of bad images, because we think of slavery, maybe history in the United States or in other countries. Uh, this word slave or bond servant uh, is, is a picture of this. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, another church, another place where believers had gathered in the city. And he tells them as well that they are bond servants, they are slaves. And he says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23, he says, you were bought with a price. He says, do not become bondservants of men. And so when Paul writes, uh, says servants uh, of Christ, or your version may actually say bondservants, or may say, might say slaves of Christ, 
he's pointing to the fact that as a Christian, as a believer, that you have been purchased by God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ has not only died on a cross, but he shed his blood to pay the price to buy you for himself. This is the love of the Father. This is the great love that God the Father would give his Son to die for you and to shed his blood to purchase you, um, to save you, and to make you his own. And so think for a minute, uh, before Christ works in your life, you were a slave. Before you are made a slave or servant of Christ, you and I, before Christ, are slaves to what? To sin. Slavery to sin, as the scriptures tell us. This bondage, these shackles, that sin controls us. But also uh, to death. That before Christ, our greatest master is sin, and our greatest enemy is death. Because for all who die in their sins, they will be apart from Christ forever for eternity, in the place of hell, and the wrath of God the Father will be upon them forever. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes to that church and says in verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin, isn't that wonderful? I mean, think about it for a minute. To be set free from sin. There should be joy that wells up in your heart as a believer. Because you were controlled by sin before, and in Christ you are no longer controlled by sin. We read in 1 John, as we've been studying on Sunday nights, that we still battle with sin, but sin no longer controls the believer to live in habitual sin daily, pleasing ourselves. There's a battle that happens with sin after a person has been bought by the blood of Christ. But it says, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so if we look back here at the text and he says, servants of Christ Jesus, and we're looking at this fact of grace being displayed in their lives and in the lives of other believers, how do we see in Paul and Timothy's life grace displayed there? Well, if you go back and you read about Paul the Apostle, he was a Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the top of all the religious leaders. He was one who hated believers, people who were Christians. And he was on a rampage to persecute anyone who would worship Christ. And on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Jesus shows up and stops Paul. He blinds him, and Paul falls on his face, and Jesus says, I have called you. You are going to do what I am telling you to do. You are going to be my servant, my bondservant, my slave, and you will go and spread the gospel. Paul had no choice. Go read Acts chapter 9. He was simply obedient to Jesus Christ, stopping on that, him on that road. And there you see the grace of God upon Paul, saving him and calling him to Jesus. Well, who's Timothy? Well, if you read First and Second Timothy, if you read in uh, different chapters in the book of Acts, you'll see Timothy, who uh, is traveling with the apostle Paul. And you can read uh, specifically about his life. He had a, a Jewish mother, and he had a Greek father. 
And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, he reminds Timothy, he says, remember the faith of your grandmother, Lois. And also remember the faith of your mother, um, and her name was Eunice. And he says, fan that gift into flame. He encourages him and reminds him uh, that Timothy was raised hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's grace was poured out upon Timothy, and Timothy believed at some point and followed after Jesus and becomes a partner in the gospel of Christ with the Apostle Paul and other believers. And so Paul and Timothy uh, travel together, and it helps us understand why the church of Philippi is there. Again, if you would turn over for a minute to Acts chapter 16, I'd encourage you to read that whole chapter here this week. But in chapter 16, the apostle Paul and Timothy were going to go to this place called Bithynia. They were set to go. They had been traveling and sharing the gospel in cities. And they, the gospel is being declared. And what happened was God gave him a vision of a man and calling him over to Macedonia, specifically the capital city in Philippi, which was like a copy of Rome. Everything that they built there, everything they did there was a copy of Rome. And what they thought they were going to do, we're going to go to Bithynia. We're going to go share the gospel. And the Lord says, no, you're not. You ever set out in your mind, I'm going to go do this for the Lord. And you've planned, and you set out time, and you put money in, and it all fails, and the doors are shut, and you're like, why? And you're all down about it. It's because the Lord didn't call you there. The Lord wasn't directing you there that way. Now, we are to be wise planners. The book uh, of Proverbs tells us to be wise planners. But at the same time, uh, we are to rely on the Lord's direction in the midst of all the planning in Acts chapter 16, there in verse 10, it says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The result, if you read that chapter, um, there's people who come to faith in Christ. The church begins there. The problem is, though, they get beaten severely, they get thrown in prison and then kicked out of the city for being obedient to the Lord. So as you make your plans and how you're going to live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, just know that, yes, we are to have planning, we're to pray, but also be ready for the Lord to say, no, that's not where I'm sending you. I'm sending you over here and know that you might go, I don't want to go there, Lord, because that only has trouble. But know this, the Lord establishes your steps. He's the one who will direct you. He will protect you. And he is the one that will take you through whatever trial, even if you die for the name of Christ. The good work that he began in you, he will finish it. And just as we were singing those wonderful hymns about that day of being with the Lord for eternity, if you die, you go to be with him. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, it says, The heart of man plans his way. But what does it say? Who establishes his steps? The Lord. So be mindful of that as you make your plans for whatever. Three years, four years. Some of us may be spending way too much time planning out the next 10 years of our life. We may be spending way too much time thinking about the next 10 minutes of our life. 
because it may be focused on what we want and desire, and we need to commit it to the Lord. But as I would point you back here to verse 1, and as they say they're servants of Christ, if you're a believer here this morning, you are a servant of Christ. You're a doulos. You are a slave of Christ. Jesus Christ is your master because he has bought you, and he is a loving master. And he has not given you something in life so burdensome that you cannot go through. He has promised to take you through that. As, our, as we studied the book of James last year, and the problems that we face in this world, that God uses them for his glory and for our benefit. Let's look back here. He also, in verse 1, the second point is this. Grace is displayed in the life of the saints. Not only is grace displayed in the life of servants, as we see in Paul and Timothy, but we see grace displayed in the life of the saints. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. For some of us, and in our culture, when we hear the word saints, we think of statues, we think of stained glass windows, we think of paintings, we think of uh, people that have done some great things for the Lord, and people uh, adore them, and they venerate them, and they respect them, and they even pray to them. And know that that's not right with Scripture. Now, at the same time, um, you need to understand all believers are saints and all saints are believers. Now, you may not want to go home today, though, and tell your family, hey, pastor said we're saints, so you need to call me St. Paul. (laughs) Don't go around and tell your parents, kids, call me St. So-and-so, mom, dad. You may not go to your neighbor and say that. It's a reality that uh, it's over 60 times in the New Testament, Christians are called saints. Over 60 times. That is the title and the position of all of you in this room who are in Christ, and Christ is in you. You are a saint. But what does this really mean? The word here in the original language means to be holy and set apart from sin. Again, God's grace upon our life, being purchased by his blood, that not only are we forgiven, but we are changed. We are made new. We are made holy and set apart for the Lord's work. But sometimes you may think, I don't feel very holy. I don't feel very holy today. Man, I'm struggling with this. The Lord knows my attitude. The Lord knows my heart. Well, again, it's important for you to take note the number of times that Christians are called saints and what does that really mean. If you are a believer, you are a saint. And what it means is that this biblical truth is that it's emphasizing that you are in Christ and Christ is in you through faith. So as you read Ephesians chapter 2, we read that we are saved by faith alone and Christ alone. There's no works that you and I could ever do. And as we studied John chapter 15 just a few weeks ago in our study of the I am statements of Christ, he talks about abiding in him over and over in that chapter and and, and us abiding in him and this picture of growing in Christ and producing fruit. That's only for the saints. That's not for the rest of the world. That's only for all who are in Christ Jesus who have been saved by the work of Christ And so we are forgiven of our sins. Again, let that sink in for a minute. Have you sinned against the Lord God Almighty? Greatly. We all have. We have all sinned. 
and fallen short of the glory of God, to be forgiven of those sins? It's unbelievable. Because we deserve death. We deserve punishment. But God has poured out His grace upon us and has saved us. And if you look there at Acts chapter 16, in Acts chapter 16, we see this on people in Philippi. We see God turning people from sinners into saints. If you read in Acts chapter 16, there's three people that are highlighted here. Number one is a, is a woman named Lydia. Lydia is a businesswoman. She is originally from Thyatira, so she is a wealthy Asian businesswoman, and it says she's a God-fearer. But if you read, she's not saved at, when the introduction starts. She fears God. She believes in one God in a place that believes in many gods, and yet she's not saved until the Lord opens her eyes in chapter 16. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy, they go to Philippi. They're there in the city for a few days, and Paul's practice was to go to synagogues. But there was no synagogue that they mentioned or could find there. There was no gathering of the Jews to worship the Lord there. So he goes to, it says, a supposed place of prayer. Just outside of the city on the south end of Philippi, there's a river just right outside of the, uh, the, the, the city gate there. And they go to a place where these women have gathered who fear God, and they are gathered in this place. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it says, The Lord opened her, speaking of Lydia, her heart. And that's key. You should pay attention to that. That's the Lord doing the work. When we read John chapter 3 and the Lord regenerating a heart and causing a heart to be born again, this is a picture right in this text happening to Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And if you read on, she was baptized that day. And also her family members. Her status of being a God-fearer was changed to being a saint because of Christ purchasing her and her believing in faith what was preached to her, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you have this wealthy businesswoman who then hosts Paul and Silas and Timothy. He says, come into my house, our household. So she must have been very wealthy and to have this place for them to stay. And then you continue to read and they're going to the, day, the place of prayer and on a daily basis, now you run into a poor demon-possessed slave girl. And she's following after Paul and Silas and Timothy, and she's calling out daily and saying, you know, uh, these people are, 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 are preaching the gospel uh, of Christ. And Paul gets a little annoyed, and he turns and he casts the demon out of this girl. She was in spiritual turmoil. When you read the understanding of this, she was being controlled by a demon. But then she's set free. Now, we can't read into the text there. It doesn't say that she was saved or, or baptized that day, but it's possible she became a part of the church that day. We do know in verse, um, in, in chapter 16, verse 19, it says, hope of money through her was gone. Her masters, her uh, slave owners, they realize our money's gone. We need to go after Paul and Silas. And so they have Paul and Silas beaten. They have them thrown in jail. And they say, hey, keep them safe in jail. And here's the third person shows up on the scene. You have a jailer, a Roman, like a blue-collar worker. 
He has no spiritual concerns, at least what shows up here. And, the middle, and it says what he does is he puts them in these stocks in the prison. It says to keep them safe. But if you read about Roman stocks, you don't want to ever have those things put on you. Because they were used in different ways to torture you. This is different than the picture of, of, of you'll see over in Europe, you'll, the, the wood thing, and people put their hands, their head through it. No, this is different. This is like contorting the body with shackles and chains to cause the body to go into tremendous pain and the muscles to seize up. This is what the jailer does. He must have been pretty good at his job. He throws them into the prison, into the inner side of the prison, and at midnight... What is Paul and Silas doing? Anyone read this chapter before? What are they doing? They're singing. How many of us, in tremendous pain, just start singing out, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice? How many of us, when we're being treated for cancer, or we're struggling with whatever, we just, start, we just break into hymns? It's a challenge. It's hard. But these guys do this at midnight, in shackles, in prison, and the Lord causes a huge earthquake. And this earthquake is so great, it causes the doors to rattle off and off their hinges and fall on the ground. And it shakes so much that these shackles that they are bound with literally fall off of them. And the jailer, trembling, he comes and he pulls his sword out, ready to kill himself because he thinks they've all left the prison. And Paul and Silas says, no, don't do that. We are all here and if you look at chapter 16, it says in verse 30, he falls down and he says to them, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus. They didn't say, go to this building down on that street over there and go to services. And after you've gone to 52 services, so go for a year. And after you sign up for that mission trip going down to Uruguay, and when you go over to this and you do all that, then you will be saved. No. It's like what they say in Acts chapter 2. It's like what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, that we're to believe we're to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and credit all the salvation to Him and all the glory to the Lord. And so you have Lydia, the businesswoman, a slave girl who is possessed by a demon and a Roman jailer. At least Lydia and the jailer become some of the first members of the church of Philippi. Their status has changed from sinners, even if they were God-fearers, to saints who are saved by the grace of God. And so he goes on, look at the text here, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. He says something there about Christ, though. He says, to all the saints who are what? The key word there, two letters. In. He says, in Christ. You need to understand that being in Christ in that description shows up over 80 times in the New Testament. And every time it says in Christ in the New Testament, it's a description of believers. It's a description of a follower of Christ. And so over 80 times it talks about being in Christ and Christ being in the believer or in the saint. You never hear a Buddhist say that they are in Buddha or Buddha is in them. You never hear a Mormon say, we are in Joseph Smith, and Joseph Smith is in us. You never hear a Muslim say that we are in Muhammad, and Muhammad is in us. You never hear any religious people speak of that. It's because there is no personal relationship with those so-called gods, because they're all dead people in the ground. 
We can only be in Christ and Christ in us because Christ is God. And Jesus is ruling and reigning and he's returning. And he's given you, his saints, his spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. So when you read, when Paul writes in Philippians and other places, the spirit of Christ, this is the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, filling you up daily that you would live and walk according to the way that God has called us. And that is to be holy and set apart. I don't know about you, but these things are exciting to me. They're just joyous truths. We can't say them enough. We can't read them enough. You might say, well, this is just just basic Christianity. Well, good. Because the Lord has written this this way that we can have understanding. And the Holy Spirit gives us that understanding, and we praise the Lord God Almighty for that. And so in Christ, saints have a new heart, a new identity. As Peter says, we have everything we need for life and godliness found in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, our our sins are forgiven. In Christ Jesus, we are saved from death. In Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are sealed and secured for eternity. Just like we read in John chapter 10 that Jesus is the good what? The good shepherd. As Peter says, he's the great shepherd. And when we read that text in John chapter 10, did it say that Jesus loses his people? It's like, you guys are like quiet today. I mean, everyone was like, he is risen indeed last week on Easter. And like this was like, I don't know. The Lord God Almighty will never lose his people. Satan cannot steal any out of his hand. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, said he will not lose any. And therefore, we rejoice in that because that is for all saints who are in Christ. All those who are in Christ are saints. But he goes on in verse 1, and he also, after points out the saints, he points out some specific other saints. He says in verse 1, with overseers and deacons. He writes to the leaders. He doesn't do this necessarily in the other letters. And so there's a reason why he does this as we will go through the letter together. But he says the overseers and the deacons. He addresses these leaders as saints as well. And what this reminds me of is that he's uh, drawing to attention what we call the priesthood of all believers. As he addresses the leaders, as he addressed all the saints, we must be reminded of what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, I mean chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. It's in verse 9. But you, he writes to the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, don't lose sight of the fact that all who are believers are saints. God calls people to be leaders in his church. But he has not said, because there are elders in the church, you are not to minister to others. Because there are deacons, or there are deacons, deaconesses serving the church, you are just supposed to only attend a service. God has called you servants. He has called you saints. And there are some he has called to serve in leadership position. But for the whole body of Christ, you are all to declare the gospel of Jesus You are all to serve one another in the name of Christ. You are all to love one another as Christ loves you. 
But it is interesting that he points out these leaders here in verse 1. Just briefly, if you want to understand more about overseers, as he writes here, uh, bishops, shepherds, elders, and pastors, I want you to go back and I want you to read Titus chapter 1. If you want to go back and listen to the sermon I preached on it last year on that, we looked specifically about elders, pastors, shepherds, bishops, those words throughout the New Testament, they are men. 1 Timothy, Titus, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and Acts chapter 20. And elders, shepherds, pastors, and bishops are men who aspire to that position, and there's a list of qualifications, and they're charged with guiding, with guarding, with leading, and feeding the flock with the word of God. Under the, they are under shepherds, under the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so with that, he also addresses the, the deacons. He said, and, and as we studied this as well in the book of Titus, and we went to Acts chapter 6, and there was a need for food to be provided for the widows of the church in that time in Jerusalem. And the apostle said, we can't go and do that right now, or we'll stop on preaching the gospel and teaching what Christ did. So they called to the church, Gather together seven men which have these qualifications and give them this duty. duty. And they prayed over them and they, and they sent them out to take care of that. Our church and our denomination not only holds to having deacons, but also deaconess. Um, uh, women who also, if you, so if you go and read again Titus chapter 1, you'll have elders and you, then you will have deacons. We'll talk about, it says, and their wives. And so if you read in that chapter there, when it describes their wives uh, as a church and a de- denomination, that's given us qualifications for women to serve in a deaconess role. Again, these, uh, we are guided by scripture for all this. We don't roll the dice. We, the elders don't gather on, you know, for our, our regular meetings and have a list on the wall. Like, all right, let's throw a dart. All right, Jack's going to be a deacon. We don't go over here and, you know, pull out, okay, you pull out five names, and I'll pull out five names, and we'll call these ladies to be deaconesses. We don't go, okay, uh, who has given the most money to the church? You know what? They should be an elder. That's unscriptural. The wonderful thing is God has given us word on how you select leaders. It's very clear. And there's, so there's no folding on this issue, even though many Christians and gatherings fold on these things and just... Select people that they think, because they've been faithful attenders, they're good business leaders, they have finances, whatever it is, maybe we'll even twist this verse to get someone in there, and that is wrong. He writes to the saints, he writes to the servants, he writes to the overseers and deacons, and if you are here and a part of this church and you are an overseer, an elder, a pastor, a shepherd, if you are a deacon or a deaconess, know that God has displayed his grace on you to save you, and he's telling you to display that grace in how you serve faithfully in the body of Christ to others. Well, let's look at verse 2 in this last point, that grace and peace flows from God. The question we ask is, yes, we're grace upon us. It's to be displayed in our life, but where does it come from? And it comes from God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This word grace, which we'll come back to in the weeks to come, this merciful kindness of God by which he um, exerts his holy influence upon souls. As God the Father did with Lydia, 
who is a God-fearer, and she hears the gospel. He opens her eyes to understand the truth. He regenerates her heart. He saves her, and by the blood of Christ, she is justified, and she is given Christ's righteousness. And so Lydia, before God the Father, sees Lydia and says, that's my child, because he adopts us who believe in Christ to his own, and he seals our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he continues to strengthen us in our faith that we would walk in holiness. Listen to these few passages of scriptures about God's grace. And it says in 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Not out of his riches, but according to the riches of his grace. That is God's grace displayed upon our lives. This is where peace comes from. Because once we are granted the grace of God for salvation, peace with God floods our heart. And so it's only by God's grace that any of us are called servants. That any of us are called saints of Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 23 through 25 it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a what? As a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Have you ever been at war or battle with another person? Do you have enemies in your life? Have you found enemies inside the church and outside of the church? Have you found enemies in your home or with a neighbor or with a schoolmate or with a coworker? Probably, I won't say probably, probably maybe most of us understand what it means to have an enemy. Someone who hates you. Maybe someone you hated. You need to know that before Christ, we hate God. There is no love for God in our hearts at all until the Lord changes us. Ephesians tells us, Romans tells us, it says, it calls us enemies of God. How much more clearer can we get from Scripture? But we don't like those terms, so we never want to admit that we're enemies of God. We always want to admit, like the rest of the world, we're good people. I do some good things. I'm really not opposed to God. But yet, what do we do as a non-believer when we lose something or lose a person or have struggle in life? We shake our fist at God and we tell him we hate him. And we say he is not a loving God. Have you listened to the news this week? Have you read articles of what the world says? 
when people say that God is a God of love, they say, no, he's not, because he allows these things. That's for all who are blinded in their sins. But for you, church, who are saints of Christ, who are servants of Christ, you have seen the light. You know the love of Christ. You know the forgiveness that God has granted to you. And because of that, you have peace with God. The peace in chapter 4, which Paul writes of, that surpasses all understanding. And so for those of you who have have anxiety this morning, those of you who are worried this morning, those of you who have fears in your life right now as you sit here, you need to know that those fears and anxieties and worries can flee by the peace that God grants you through salvation in Him. And then even for believers who know these truths, we walk and live in a world with great trouble. We walk and live in a world where there is so much struggle. And so we battle with anxiety, we battle with worry, and we battle with fear. And the only thing I can say to you is that you would turn to Scripture, and you would turn to prayer, and you would ask the Holy Spirit to help you in those moments of great trouble, and know that God is faithful to do so. Even if you're doubting this morning of what's going to happen to you, The Lord is the one who can grant you the peace that surpasses all understanding. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So in closing, two questions. What about you? What about you? Do you have the grace of God upon your life this morning that provides you the peace that surpasses all understanding because you believe in Jesus Christ? If so, Christ is in you and you are in Christ, therefore you're to imitate Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy... Also, you be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you are here this morning, and at this point in your life, you have not received the grace of God upon your life. If you are here and you find yourself an enemy of God, you have heard the gospel preached to you this morning. Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place for your sins. He has shed his blood so that you would be forgiven. He died on the cross. He was placed in the tomb. On the third day, he rose from death to life, conquering Satan, conquering sin, and conquering death. He's, a, he's, he's raised to heaven where he is ruling and reigning, and Jesus has promised and said, I am coming back. I go to prepare a place for you. If you've come into this place in darkness and the Lord has opened your eyes like Lydia, I could tell you, pray this, 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 and this, and it means nothing. Simply like Romans says, to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. Isn't that wonderful that God in his grace does all the work? And we believe and we are saved. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you praise. We glorify your name. We say thank you that you would pour out your grace upon us, sinners who have been changed by the blood of Christ and through faith in Christ been made saints. Father, we pray that this week as we are 
back in the midst of this dark world that we walk in. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us up as we read your word daily, as we seek you in prayer. We pray that you would cause the anxieties, the worries, the troubles, the stress, the fears to flee, and that you would strengthen us, that you would strengthen us to walk in a manner worthy of we've been called. People who are found and seen holy by you because of the blood of Christ. Father, would you strengthen your church? Would you save the lost that may be in this room? And we praise you and give all the glory to you, Jesus. Amen.